You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode, and it's a good one. I have uh, a guest today. His name is Parker McDonald. Now, if you listen to the Sportsman's Nation podcast network, then you know Parker from the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. It's a really popular podcast on the uh, on the network here. And I'm telling you right now, man, uh, he does a really good job. And the reason I, I specifically brought him on to the network is because I have no experience in the South. I... I have never hunted the South. I don't know how to talk about the South or the Southern rut or anything like that. So you got to have a guy in that location in order to properly talk about it. And that's what Parker brings to the table is his experience hunting the South. He lives in Alabama and he's hunted Texas and Kentucky and a variety of other different States in the, in the South. But uh, he does a real good job at uh, talking about uh, hunting the South, and that is uh, why his podcast, I'm talking in circles, and that's why his podcast is called the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Now, uh, in this episode, it's, it is a BS session straight up. I'm not going to lie. I think we talk about uh, hunting thermal hubs and thermal zones and um, wind direction. That's the main topic. But before that, we kind of uh, get into a rant about business and marriage and a variety of other topics kind of that are intertwined in our life. Uh, you know, like hunting is such a big part of our life. Like I know for me, I don't do anything else. I don't, you know, I, I don't, I'm not in a softball league or a bowling league or, uh, and uh, do fantasy football or anything like that. And, I know that Parker is in some way, shape, or form the, the same way. So we talk about our similarities with, you know, I think we talk a little bit about parenting, our relationship with our wife. Uh, we talk about the, the podcasting as a whole um, in, the, uh, in the hunting space. A little, I guess it's a little bit of a uh, insight into what we do. Um, so yeah, really good, really good podcast. And I'm going to drop uh, really quick commercials here for you guys. Um, so on this, on this particular uh, podcast, the nine finger chronicles, man, I, I just want to say thank you to all of the, the companies that have supported this podcast and this network, but, uh, especially this podcast, because it's been around, it, it is what the network was propped up on. And, uh, luckily the, it turned out to be something amazing. So, uh, hunt stand, right? I'm on hunt stand all the time. Literally all the time I am on there scouting new locations, different states. You know, it's one of those things where it's never ending. And for the, the affordability of hunt stand, it, it is completely, uh, there's, there's no other functionality um, and robust features that 
that match that uh, that hunting uh, that that hunting uh, app. So huntstand.com. Go find out more information about that. A discount code SN20 for 20% off. Lone Wolf uh, tree stands. Go to Lone Wolf. Some big news coming out of that uh, that camp here earlier in this next year. But in the meantime. The one of the best Christmas pre- yeah one of the best Christmas presents you can give yourself or others would be a lone wolf uh, a tree stand or set of sticks and that discount code is nine FC two one nine FC two one and that's fifty percent or fifty dollars off all orders over two hundred dollars. Wasp broadheads the bringer of death the bringer of destruction and uh, American made for the most part a couple of their head or a majority of their heads are american made i'm a huge fan of the jackhammer huge fan of the uh, boss four blade for the fixed blade version um and that discount code for 20 percent off is the number nine followed by the word fingers 2021 nine fingers 2021 and get 20 percent off wasparchery.com ozonicshunting.com uh if you haven't played around with ozone yet you definitely need to do it and you need to do it uh you know borrow one from a buddy go out hunting or read up on it and just i mean hell listen to me and listen to my consistent message about ozone every single time i talk about it it is a product that allows the average joe to have sometimes some second chances in the woods and definitely needed if your hunting time is limited uh, so go to ozonicshunting.com and if you do decide to purchase one of their units get a free dry wash bag with the purchase of a unit and that is nfc21 nfc21 and of course our other partners uh, they don't have any discount codes but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go check them out vortex optics probably the hunting optic the the brand in the hunting space when it comes to optics rangefinders binoculars spotting scopes red dots rifle scopes vortexoptics.com uh, they're our title sponsor as well exodus trail cameras what do i love about exodus trail cameras they literally work period that's it i mean that's all i want i want a trail camera to work so that when i collect that data it's there for me to use um other cameras in the past i have not had such good luck these guys have a five year no bs warranty meaning inside of five years if it breaks they're gonna they're gonna hook you up with uh, i think it's a theft or damage so if it's broken or if someone steals it they'll sell you another one for 50 percent off uh, and no other trail camera companies doing that. And uh, if you are looking for a crossbow for a new hunter or uh, someone who is uh, maybe new or resurfacing as a hunter, or you live in a state that has uh, a crossbow season, you definitely need to check out ExcaliburCrossbow.com. Excalibur crossbows have been around for roughly 30 years, and uh, these guys knock it out of the park with like they're not trying to over engineer the crossbow they are they've been around for a long time they've built a foundation they're a cornerstone in uh in the archery side of the hunting uh and you don't uh, in the hunting space and you don't stick around that long unless you have a, a very high quality product and uh that's excalibur so uh, if you're looking for a crossbow give excalibur uh, uh a try other than that man uh, huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen. Appreciate it. Now, let's get into today's episode with Parker McDonald of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, my Southern accomplice here at the uh, at the Sportsman's Nation, Mr. Parker McDonald of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Parker, man, what's up? What's up, Dan? It's always a pleasure to come on your show and talk a little bit about deer hunting. I think uh, I think me and you right now are kind of finding ourselves in the same position. We don't really know what to do with ourselves. It's deer season and we can't deer hunt right now. Exactly. So exactly. It's a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. Right, right. I, I had an opportunity here this actually this week to potentially go back to Nebraska and hunt like try to fill a Nebraska tag, but just like putting that vibe out in the house and knowing how much work I have to do here 
with the with the network i was just like yeah, i'm gonna pass and and maybe i'll roll the dice late season but uh you know there's always there's still there's still a chance i don't know how big of a chance it's gonna be though well i like the way you put that you just throw out that vibe in the house and just see how everybody takes it yeah and most of the time uh most of the time it's going to come back negative <laughs> you, <laughs> you throw that vibe out there right. and just, just, just testing the waters just to right. see. So, uh, I did, so I shot my last book here in Alabama last, uh, or this past Monday. So less than a week ago. And that was kind of like, you know, my wife was like praising God whenever I shot the last ones, yeah. like finally, finally you can be home for a little bit. And, uh, I want to say it was later that night. I just wanted to just kind of throw it out there and just see what her reaction was. And I was like, so what would you think if I went to Mississippi and caught that late rut here (laughs) after the new year? And she, she looked at me and she's like, are you serious right now? (laughs) For real? (laughs) No, I was just joking. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got Got (laughs) you. That's funny. Uh, yeah, I do that too. And by the way, your wife must be a rock star because one of the first people that I knew, like in my circle that I knew, uh, who was hunting was you. Cause you went up to North Dakota in September and you've kind of bounced all over the country and just finished up here. What this last week in, in, uh, Alabama, and well, you're, you're still not done yet. Cause you might go hunting a little bit more this, this late, late season, right? Yeah. Yeah. I started, um, I started North Dakota, September 1st Yeah. from North Dakota went and no, actually that's, that's false. I started in Tennessee for the Tennessee velvet hunt that's on right. October. Uh, I'm sorry, August the 27th. That's right. Um, and was unsuccessful there. Went to North Dakota, killed a, a small deer on public land up there on the last day. Um, then, I'm trying to remember if I hunted Tennessee at all. But yeah, I've been hunting since since late August yeah. and uh, just finished. And, and to confirm what you said, my wife is the best. Like, she, we constantly have like friends and stuff, but like, I don't know how you let him do this. And yeah. And we, we have an interesting dynamic, really, because um, I'm self-employed now, so I can, you know, kind of make my own schedule. Uh, but she has been, since we started having kids, she's been a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Uh, we we had the means to be able to do that. Um, the job I was working at the church, we were living off of one income, and then now being self-employed, we've still been able to, to do that. And, uh, and so she works from home, but we also... Uh, all of our family lives far away. So my parents live in Texas. Her parents live in Florida. And we're kind of like right in the middle here in Alabama. So uh, part of our, I don't want to call it like a deal that we have with each other because it's definitely not that. It doesn't always work out exactly this way. But um, because she's a stay-at-home mom and she doesn't have a work schedule necessarily that she has to follow, uh, I'm able to, to say, hey, I'm going on a trip right here or can we work it out to where if I go on this trip you can go and hang out with your family in Florida this week and um and then like during the summertime she'll spend two weeks there she'll take the kids and spend two weeks with her family in Florida um you know and and you know I'm working I'm at home and that'll change a little bit now that I'm self-employed and I can work from Florida if I want to yeah but we I really try to it's a, it's a, it really is like, and this would be valuable for young married people that listen, young married dudes that listen to your podcast. Uh, you can't, most of the guys that you see that are just, just going all deer season long, it's because they have developed a bank account system of sorts with their marriage, um, where they put in deposits, yeah. you have to put in deposits if you ever want to withdraw. So I try to put those deposits in as much as I possibly can, because during Turkey season, I'm deer, during deer and Turkey season, I'm, you know, I like to move around a lot. Yeah. And so I'll try to make some sacrifices in those off seasons to where, you know, my wife can go and do the things that she wants, you yeah. know? And, and so, and, and I've never, I've never put pressure on her to get a job. I've never put pressure on her to, uh, you know, 
to do really, really anything like, and and she knows that. Uh, and I think it's it's just an interesting dynamic with, uh, with me and her yeah. to be able to go and do stuff like that. But it works. It's worked great. And she is the most supportive person to me chasing the dream of doing anything in the deer hunting world. She yeah. is awesome. She's great. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I spend all off season basically trying to let my wife. So I, ha- I have all these dreams and accomplishments that I want to, uh, that I want to happen in my life. So in the off season, I want to make sure that my wife knows that, Hey, let's go do this. Let's do this. What do you, what do you want to do? You know, um, her dreams are, I'll say this, her dreams and uh, aspirations are a little bit more expensive than mine are. So, <laughs> uh, so we have to bring a slice of reality into it, but for the most part, it, it, it's starting, it's actually getting better than what it was. Now you mentioned something there I, I want to touch base on. And from a marriage standpoint, and man, this, this goes beyond hunting, but I, I gotta, I gotta have a little truth bomb here. There are people out there, um, that talk to my wife, uh, maybe some of her friends or other acquaintances that she knows who say things like, man, I can't believe you let your husband go away for eight days, or I can't believe you let your, uh, you know, your husband go hunting for however many weeks out of a year. And you, you look, you look at it and it's, it's really not that much time compared to a whole year, but that, that, that doubt, they start to think of it and then they try to use it against you in a argument or, or like, well, you know, you, you're pretty lucky. Uh, so-and-so would never. And I'm like, I'm not married to that fucker. I'm not married to her. I'm married to you. Right. I, I don't, I don't care what that person has to say. And then, you know, I think with with a little bit of uh, reinforcement and education, like I've been able to communicate with my wife and just be like, hey, listen, that's great, but you can't let other people's opinions of your marriage ruin what we have. And yeah, that may sound a little selfish on my part, but she's getting what she wants out of the deal too. So, um, Well, it, the, here's the reality is, uh, if you're able to make it work and and both parties are happy, both you and your wife are happy right. with the, the system that you have down and other people are saying, I just don't know how you do it. That just means you're better at, than, at it than they are. Yeah. Like you're better at marriage than they are. If yeah. they're saying like, I can't imagine that I can't believe you let him go do that. Well, maybe they need to work <laughs> on their communication and their marriage a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And And the other thing too is my wife knows this. We may have talked about it too before on a podcast. Uh, I feel like I've said it on a podcast before. Um, my wife knows that I will likely, like, she does not ever have to worry about me cheating on her or going outside <laughs> yeah. of our marriage. Yeah. Um, like, I, I think statistics pretty much speak for themselves about how often that happens within marriages. Yeah. Um, she does not have to worry about that. Like, I, if I tell her I'm gone. It's because I'm gonna go, go hunt yeah. or do something around that. I'm getting that away room. from people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't need another woman in my life. <laughs> that doesn't make right. life easier. No, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> like it's 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 sometimes difficult enough to have have one, one cycle a month. I couldn't imagine <laughs> going through two of them. So you don't ever have to worry about me uh, going and doing that. And I'll, I'll just I'll say, go. I'll just say. We, we're having this conversation with all due respect to any any uh, lady listeners out there. I oh man, and that's the thing. Like I, my wife, like I would never say anything negative about her. Yeah. Like she is, like you, like you said, she's a she's a rock star. She's, yeah, she's great. She's best mom, best wife. Yeah, you know, lets me go chase dreams hard, and I love it. Yeah. I mean, we have we have a system that works for us, and and she does have. I think. So I think for a little while it was hard. Um, she did not come from a hunting family, so her dad okay. doesn't hunt. Her brother started hunting later in life, so he is a hunter, um, but she didn't come from it. And so I think it was kind of a culture shock for her that some men just leave for weeks out of the out of the fall and yeah. and just leave and go hunt and do something fun. But uh, like for you, I'm sure it probably we've we this has been more recent for us but yeah. i'm sure at some point for you your wife 
saw a check that came in and you're able to, you know, make a living doing it. Yeah. And it all of a sudden's like, Oh, well, yeah, go kill some deer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll be honest, man. It's been a rough road. Um, that, that whole, that's the toughest port, uh, part of where I'm at now was getting over that. Now, the, the, and I've, I've mentioned this also before in several podcasts, but the, the girl that I was dating before I met my wife, like I, it was poor, uh, poor community. Oh God, I can't talk today. Poor communication on my part, not letting her know how into hunting that I was. And yeah. when the, when the first hunting season came around and every evening or every night or, or every weekend I was going and trying to get some tree stand time she, it was it was almost like a shock to her and she's like well you don't need to be doing you don't need to be hunting that much right you don't need to you don't need to be doing that you know you, you got a girlfriend now you need to hang out with me and I was like okay uh long story short that didn't work out and I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm not joking when I say this the first serious conversation when I had that first little blip in my head of, Hey man, I can, I can see myself spend the rest of my life with this woman. I had that conversation with her and I told her straight up, listen, I am an outdoorsman. I am a hunter and I can only hunt this in certain times of, of year, October, November, I didn't mention September, which is why when I started going out West, that was just, you know, you had to kind of start gradually getting into that. But, uh, in December, I mean, like I'm busy. And so you're going to have to learn how to do some of this stuff with, you know, like be in a relationship. This is going to sound weird. Be in a relationship without me. And, um, so, so I had that straight up and she, it, at the time it was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, fine. Fine. That's awesome. Yeah. Whatever. And then the first hunting season came and she wrote it out pretty well. Not going to lie. Then we got married. Right. And then the first one was okay. Not so bad. And then kids came and then that's when the curveball started coming. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, I like hunting took a back seat at times, but I was okay with that because I knew that I had additional responsibilities as a father at this point, not just a husband, but at a, as a father as well. So I, I was able to hunt smarter now, and, and I'm sorry for hogging this, this conversation, Parker, but my wife said, no, my, my wife said something to me this, uh, uh, this, or this, yeah, it was last week. She goes, we were talking about the hunting season. I said, man, the hunting season's pretty much over. And she's like, yeah, you know what? It, it really wasn't that bad this year. And I didn't say it out loud, but I thought into my head and I said, you just gave me a mile of rope on, on that. I'm going to use it because now I know, like I found, I'm looking for that threshold and I didn't meet it this year, which means that I could probably squeak in maybe another week of hunting somewhere. So, <laughs> so selfishly, of course. So it's funny. You, uh, you asked me to start a podcast on sportsman's nation the first year that my daughter was born. Okay. So she was born in 17, I think. I think it was 17. Yeah. Um, she's four now. So yeah, she would have been, it had been 17. Uh, and you, it, yeah, it was like, it, you asked me to start the podcast like right after she was born. And so my like whole, everything kind of revolving around a potential career and building a brand happened right when we first started having kids. So, yeah. uh, it was kind of like, it was a little bit opposite for me. It, hunting didn't really take a back seat. It kind of took a front seat. Uh, I, of course I still, you know, make every chance that I can to be at home and, and do all that kind of stuff and, and be with the kids. And I try not to miss anything that the kids have going on. Uh, but it, it did, definitely kind of grow into yeah. something bigger for me right around the same time we started having kids, which yeah. is uh, probably could have saved me and my wife several arguments had I started a little bit earlier. Right. I think. Right. Uh, Cause it was definitely like that. Like I was trying to figure out like what's, what's acceptable, what's not. We had some pretty serious 
you know, pretty serious arguments at times. And, uh, but now, you know, I, I kind of feel like we've found that balance and also being my own boss yeah. really helps because like today it's what's today, Friday, um, yesterday, pretty much all this week, I've been at home with a child, yep. uh, you know, helping out. And, uh, and so I've been, I don't have to, I didn't tag out Monday and then immediately have to go back to work. You yeah. know, I was at work. I was just working at home, yeah. you know? And so that was, that's been pretty cool. That's been a, a real, that's made this season a lot easier for us Yeah, because, yeah. you know, I can do everything from home, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah. And that's crazy. Uh, like the, you know, everybody always says, you know, the best time to do something is right now. Right. Cause, cause I started, I started the network in 17 and that's when my, so I, I let's see, 2014, I believe is when I started the, the, and it seems so long ago, 2014, I think is when I started the nine finger Chronicles podcast and I would have had one kid already. And then a another one i think my my other son was born in september or april of 14 and then i had my other son in 17 right around the time he would have been a baby the time that i started the network and so there is literally i I just keep thinking about if i was to start right now and how hard it would be to start something and that that's like from a business standpoint I don't know about you, but for me, I look back and I'm just like, God, I thank God I started all of this when I started all of this, because oh, with, yeah. with the schedule that I have now, it would, it would have been damn near impossible. Yeah, man. I've, I've thought about that quite a bit. Um, and not only just scheduling, but you know, you kind of, you kind of helped, helped start the whole hunting podcast scene. I would say you were one of the first ones that I ever listened to. Um, and not only that, you were a co-host on Wired to Hunt, which was a big part of that beginning phases of yeah. of podcasting and things like that. So um, I came in, when I came in and you asked me to start, it was probably right at the tail end of times to start a hunting podcast before everybody did it. Yeah. Um, Cause I think now if I tried to start a hunting podcast now, it just kind of gets lost in the sea. Oh yeah. You know, yep. there's, there's so many of them out there. It's every week. Somebody's starting a new thing. Yep. That's exactly like the other thing. And, yep. and it's, uh, it, it would be very hard to make yourself make Stand any out. type of thing for yourself yeah. with it. And that's, and that's crazy, man, because there were some podcasts when I started that were pretty, I don't know what the what the right word is, so I'll just use a simple word, big, back mm-hmm. when I started, mm-hmm. that are no longer there anymore. And they yeah. just, I don't know whether they just said, hey, I, I, I'm done, this ran its course, or I don't want to put any energy into it, or hey, it just, I can't find, I can't, can't find a way to monetize it, or whatever, whatever their reason was, it's just not there anymore. And so yeah. um, I think that, that bubble from a, from an outdoor podcasting standpoint has really, I don't know if it's popped yet, but it's, but it's about to, I think, I think that all of a sudden people are going to realize that say, man, this is a little tougher than I thought it was, especially if I wanted to make money off of it um, Mm -hmm. and turn it into kind of a business. But at the same time, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there, I, I feel that I, I, I feel just because I'm in it that there's been a, a little bit of a decline. We're coming off of the peak of it. Yeah. And most people aren't going to be able to do what you've done. So you've been able to pretty well build a podcast as your main platform. Yeah. Same with Mark uh, and a couple of other people that have been able to do this. Uh, working class bow hunter probably is is one of them that got yep. started at the beginning. Yep. Uh, there's there's a, a few of you guys who are able to make a a full time job out of podcasting, but the reality is, is for people like me who I came in at the tail end of it. Um, no doubt, you know, I've I've been able to do well for myself as far as uh, financially with with podcasting and stuff, but I've got to do everything kind of around it. I think yeah. for most people. 
podcasting can't be your your main platform that you go with. Like you have to be. Uh, I, I just did a podcast with Brody Swisher. I don't know if you know Brody, um, but he's uh, the guy from Bowhunting.com, and uh, he does a lot of the editing for them. Yep. Uh, with the articles and stuff. So I did a podcast with him yesterday, and we were talking about this same thing kind of like how to get started in the outdoor industry and build a brand. And I think real, if you're going to be a, a hunter, uh, if you're going to do a podcast or be a part of the outdoor industry, I think the most important thing that you have to do is be a good hunter, right? Like, because podcasting, like Dan, how many times have you had the same guest that's been on working class bow hunter or they've had the same guests that you've had on or what everything is everything is kind of regurgitated but what people buy into is the host yeah and if you as a host are if your show is completely dependent on the guest then i just don't think it's sustainable but if if the people and your listeners come back over and over and over again they're probably coming back for you yeah um because you're a, a good credible host and yeah. so i think for me I, when I started the podcast, I wanted to make sure that, uh, I wasn't building. Now we have great guests and I want them to be the focal point of the show. I don't want me to be the focal point, but to be able to keep, keep people coming back, I had to be a credible source as well. Yeah. And so my first thing when I started was be a good, be a better deer hunter. Yeah. Like I need to be able to have these conversations with some of these guys who are, who I'm interviewing, who are big buck slayers and consistent killers of deer um specifically public land southern deer uh is the kind of people that i talk to so i need to make sure that i am as good as i can possibly be at that aspect and so i focused a lot of my efforts into that um and i think that for me has been one of the maybe the smartest things that i've ever done was to focus on on that over everything else be a better deer hunter be a student of them Right. Um, same thing with you. I, I, my buddy, Adam Cruz, I don't know if you know Adam or not, but, yep. uh, you killed your buck this year and, uh, your Iowa buck. And he sent a picture of it in a group text, uh, group text with me, uh, me, him and Walter Lee from chasing tails. And he said, well, Dan killed his annual mature buck. So like <laughs> it's, you've made an expectation that you're going to go out and you're going to kill a good deer in Iowa every single year. Everybody kind of knows that. And yeah. I think that makes you credible. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's, and, and I listen to so many podcasts or I, I see new podcasts pop up of people that are talking about that. You know, I think the, the popular thing right now is hunting public land and blah, 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 but they don't have a lot of success. And so if they are pulling in a bunch of listen or a bunch of, guests who are new you know everybody's not going to be andy may that's just the reality right there's one andy may and andy may's been on like every podcast ever because he's good at it he's good at deer hunting and so um once you've heard andy may on one podcast like to me i like and this is nothing against andy i think andy's probably one of the most humble dudes in the world oh but but when you've heard somebody talk once you probably aren't going to listen to them on every single podcast they're on after that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. does that, does that kind of make sense? You, Oh yeah. You have to either be really good at finding new people that nobody's ever heard before, or you gotta, you gotta be the reason why people are listening. Right. So that was a long way of explaining that, but yeah. Um, and the thing about it is, you know, kind of going back to, you know, that, that comment about, how, how do I say this? Maybe, maybe if you're a content provider, yes. Right. As, as, a, as far as a content provider, I have to be somewhat charismatic. Uh, a host of a podcast has to be somewhat charismatic. They have to have a reason for, um, you know, like people to come back to it. Right. Uh, either, yeah. you know, but I but I know at the same time, I know there's other podcasts out there where the host is really dry and it works. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the, but at the same time, it's. um it, 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 you have to be able to captivate the the conversation or make something interesting about it. As far as the deer hunting is concerned, dude, there are, I'm not special in any way, shape or form when it comes to deer hunting. 
because there's other guys out there, you know this just as well as I do, who are doing exactly what we're doing every single year as well. They're just out of the, you know, out of the picture. So we may look like studs and and I'm not trying to be arrogant here. We may look like the top tier of the group in, in our small circle that we're in, but we are not in any way, shape or form special because I know hundreds of guys who are doing the exact same thing in the woods that we're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And and my point, my point is, is in that is to have these good conversations with people and to really draw out the best content in a podcast, you have to know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and and it needs to be credible. Exactly. So if I'm saying, so here's, here's one example that I've been focused on this year. I've killed two of my Alabama bucks in a thermal hub and have a lot, had a lot of encounters with bucks in thermal hubs. And it's something that I haven't really focused on much in the past, uh, but I've been really focusing on, and it's worked out for me. If I didn't know a thermal hub, if I didn't hunt thermal hubs, if I had not had success on thermal hubs, how can I be expected to talk to uh Aaron Warbritton from THP about what's a thermal hub. Yeah. You know, like why would my listeners have any confidence in me as a host if I didn't have any reference point for the conversation? Yeah. Um, and, and it's definitely possible. I think you can do it and let that person just be educating you in that, in that way. But I think you're going to get the most bang for your buck if you, uh, or no pun intended, uh, you're going to get the best bang for your buck if you know what you're talking about. Oh, absolutely. And you have at least an understanding. And that's in anything in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Absolutely. You can't be a sportscaster if you don't know anything about sports. Right. Fact. <laughs> you know? Fact. Uh, so I just, I, I get fairly, I'm not going to say I get annoyed. I don't get annoyed because I think it's, I think it's fair and, and good for anybody to, to, to try something, yeah. to do something new. But I think people get so focused on other things that maybe aren't nearly as important, like gear. Yeah. And, you know, talking to, like, I hear a lot of podcasts that the only thing that the people who are hosting know what they're talking about is gear because they spend so much time focused on gear and yeah. not very much time talking about deer or they they don't have much knowledge of actual deer and they think that's going to like elevate them. Right. And I just, it just doesn't, Right. <laughs> it just doesn't. Yeah. I don't think it's not sustainable anyways. Yeah. You're, you're not wrong, man. Um, let's talk. And I'm talking to the guy who hosts the, the hunting gear podcast. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the, the cool thing, the cool, host that hosts host gear, gear talk. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> dumb. Well, the, the gear talk is like all that stuff on that particular podcast is all unbiased, right? It's right. all, I mean, yes, I talk about the gear that I use, right? But at the same time, I'm bringing in uh, experts on that specific product line or companies. So you're, it's not coming from someone who's influenced by it. It's actually coming from the brand itself or the product line itself. Yeah. So that's right. Yeah. And I think gear is good. Yeah. Like, like I, I'm a gear nerd as much as anybody. Um, but yeah, I try not to make that my focus necessarily. Um, but like what you're doing with that podcast, you also host 14 other podcasts (laughs) that are talking about different stuff. I mean, you're just kind of covering a, you're just throwing a big net out there is what you're doing. And that's smart. All that, that's just good business to me. Yeah. So I want to pivot here a second and I want to talk about this thermal hub thing that you've you know, been trying to pay a little bit more attention to this year. And for someone who doesn't know what that is, what a thermal hub is, why don't you explain to them what it is? So the best way that I could explain it without using, I won't even use the terminology of thermals um, in it, but if you're looking at a map and you see a bunch of ridges, a bunch of points dumping down into one central spot. So let's say you have four different ridges that are that dump down into a bottom and hit that one central location. Yeah. That is a thermal hub. Yeah. So uh, it offers a bunch of a bunch of different uh, 
benefits right there. There's a lot of good things about a thermal hub when it comes to deer hunting because um, we know this is a subject that's been probably uh, talked about more times than you could ever count, but buck bedding, um, hill country buck bedding in places where there's steep terrain and any type of terrain, really, you uh, you get uh, bucks that bed on these points, right? On these spur ridges or points or something like that. And they uh, typically what they talk about is they bed with the wind of their back overlooking the the bottom where they get the thermals that are rising up in the day, which is when they're bedded. Thermals rise up from the bottom as the sun heats up and the wind blows over the back. So they get, you know, they get their uh, scent from both directions. So that's that's one benefit you get. And when you have three, four, five different of those points that are dumping down into the same area, you've just upped your percentage, you know, five times of catching a deer going to bed and on one of those points. Yeah. Um, so you have that, uh, you also have, I, I hunt thermal hubs in the pre rut and in the rut. And what a lot of people have told me since I've been talking about it and concentrating on it and have had some success on that. I really tried to explain it well in my last video that I did where I killed my first Alabama buck. Um, I tried to explain it more visually in that video because I think it's beneficial. A lot of people have reached out and they said, Hey, I'm glad you said that. I've been hunting a thermal hub. I've heard people talk about thermal, thermal hubs. I never knew what they were. I acted like I knew what they were and I really didn't have any idea. Uh, but I've been hunting a thermal hub my whole life and that's my best spot. Uh, so it's not like a thing that is, is rare. You can find these. A lot of people have had success in these type of areas and maybe they just don't know it. Um, but what ends up happening in these in these hubs like this, it also works the same way inverted. So if you have uh, a ridge that splits off in five different directions and basically kind of makes a star, uh, you have a thermal hub that's a higher thermal hub. Yeah. Um, what I'm talking about, what I've been concentrating on is more of that lower end thermal hub uh, where you're actually hunting in the bottom. Okay. And it almost creates a bowl. Yeah. Um, if you can imagine that. Yeah. So... During the rut, what ends up happening is these bucks will dump down into those into these hubs off of one of the ridges. Usually, from what I've seen, it's going to be the one that's the most gradual that they can easily get to. They're going to go and just cruise all every single one of those points. They're just going to go over each and every one of those points because what these what the does do is they come down and cross and the and they go from one ridge to the other in these little hubs and so they're just scent checking every single one of those points yep. and going around it um and a lot of times those those ridges like that in that bowl it creates kind of a security spot so if the wind shifts and a buck's bedded on one point he can easily drop down in there and go to the next point where the wind is better for him yep um so you catch a lot of that stuff as well that's more early season type stuff but in the rut, that's typically what they'll do. They'll dump down in there, usually halfway, uh, somewhere where that uh, thermal tunnel is, where the the wind meets the the wind meets the the thermals, the rising thermals. And both bucks that I killed on thermal hubs this year was between nine and nine thirty. So right when the thermals start rising, yeah, uh, and they start cruising that. Right. And, and you really have, if you have a bunch of points dumped down, you have that many chances that a buck's going to be on one of those ridges and come that way. Instead of just hunting one ridge or one bench or one saddle, you have, you're, you're doing five times this. You're up in your odds by five times to me. Yeah. If you have five ridges come together. Yeah. So this sounds like a scenario where everything's coming off the top down into a bottom and collecting in one point. And the deer use that one point so they can set and check a ton more surface area of the land just in one spot, right? Especially, mm -hmm. especially if they're looking for a doe. Now, with that said, is there the opposite of that? Like a, a spot where there may be a thermal hub for an afternoon hunt where thermals are rising and there's a collection point or like a, a concentrated point of thermals and wind uh, at, at the top? Of the terrain yeah yeah that's kind of what i, I kind of hinted at and talked about it a little bit a minute ago but like if you have a, a 
the top of a mountain or the top of a hill yeah. and it splits off into it just kind of looks like a star from a map yep um or a clover or something like that like whether it has five four three however many ridges split off of it that kind of creates the same effect um but to me it's just a little less less likely yeah um i i don't see it because your thermals are going to happen more on the sides of the hills um that's where a buck's going to get that advantage because he's smelling whatever is at the bottom. It was when those thermals starts rising, he's smelling what's at the bottom right? from the thermals rising. And then he's also catching the wind coming up over the top. And he just has a lot of options right there that he can check. Um, now I have found them on tops. I just don't ever hunt ridge tops here. It just, yeah. it doesn't seem like deer really travel those in the daylight very much. Yeah. Um, where I'm at now in Kentucky, I hunted a thermal hub that was a higher thermal hub this year. And that's something I don't have nearly, I wouldn't even feel comfortable necessarily talking about it because to me, your thermals, the thermals rise, the wind comes, the wind is going to come up over the top of that and blow any thermal winds away. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. If you're at the top of a hill, um, your wind is going to kind of overpower any type of thermal. When you're in the bottom, the wind's being blocked by the ridges. Yeah. So your thermals really, really work right there. Yeah. Um, there's, there's times, you know, thermals are great. Like if you can master an area uh, where maybe there's a pinch point and thermals all kind of come together um, and, and you have the right wind and the wind speed, I think is also very important when you're, when you're, maybe focusing on thermals at that point. Cause if you have, in my experiences, predominant wind or thermals can trump predominant wind if it's a light wind, but once yes, it starts absolutely. to, when, once that wind speed starts to pick up, um, the thermals may still be working, but then the, the predominant wind can trump the thermals and push that, push that wind, you know, further down it, you know, the, you may get away with a deer walking uh, downwind of you and not, not catching your scent. But at the same time, once the, like this is, and this is just my experience, once that wind speed picks up, then I've been in the past, I've been busted more on higher wind speed days in, in a great thermal location. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, um, <coughs> sorry. Uh, it really, to me, depends on the elevation that these ridges are actually getting because yeah. if you're talking about you know uh 100 feet couple hundred feet you know where the wind really is blocked by them like that's the the hub that i that i've been hunting where i shot two bucks at this year um it's pretty steep and it's pretty tall so yeah. uh and and usually right there around 9 30 when the when the buck would be cruising it trying to catch the first the first rise in thermals um your wind hasn't picked up like it will in the heat of the day uh you know in the middle of the afternoon the wind's going to be the highest probably and so um now if you're talking like where you're at or you know a lot of the midwestern stuff where it's not super super high elevation yeah um, you know, we're at the foothills of the uh, Appalachian mountain range where I'm at. So we get some pretty decent elevation. Yeah. Midwest is going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Um, you're not going to get quite, quite the, the, um, blockage that you'll get here. Yeah. So the other, it's dangerous. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people hunt these, uh, thermal or, or a lot of people will not hunt a thermal hub because your wind can swirl so yeah. bad. That was going to be my next question, actually. Like, how, how do you, how do you fight that? So for me, I'll tell you. So it's it's different. I was trying to explain this to somebody the other day who is from the Midwest, where the majority of the hunting opportunity is bow hunting. Um, if you want to hunt Iowa or Kansas or any, you have to be a bow hunter if you want to hunt the rut, for the most part. Right. I mean, you get a, a very short amount of time to even hunt with a firearm. So you have to be a bow hunter in Alabama. We, our rifle season is the season, right? So we have from the beginning of November all the way through February the 10th to hunt with a rifle. Um, 
And so you're not, ta- I'm not talking about necessarily getting deer in bow range. I'm talking about getting deer in within 75 yards is kind of where I like to, I like inside of 75 yards with a gun because yeah. it, you know, it's still close range. It's still, you feel like you, you feel like you got the deer in close uh, and there's a lot less room for error when you do that. Yeah. And so a lot of the times, you know, if I were trying to bow hunt a, th- a thermal hub, I might pick the the point that might have the most sign on it where I feel like a deer and I'd get up a little bit in elevation to where, you know, I can be in a little bit closer quarters. But I'm hunting literally in the in the dead center in the bottom of all these points coming down because and you know when a deer comes in and usually they're going to be within within a hundred yards when i see them even if they even if they do catch my wind or something like that with a rifle you have a little bit more ability to uh to shoot them before they run off um and so that's kind of i mean that's a simple way of saying it but uh i have seen uh people uh my buddy clayton bond i think he's been on your podcast before uh he's from uh north or south carolina i can't remember which one but he killed a really good mature deer in kentucky this year in a thermal hub with his bow uh i think it was at like 36 yards or 34 yards or something like that uh but it was it was before the thermals started rising um that that he killed this deer so when the thermals are falling still a lot of times you can catch these bucks in the bottoms with you yeah. in these hubs yeah. like this. You can, because, because the, the, the hub works the same way, whether the thermals are rising or they're falling a buck. A lot of times I find that in the bottoms of these, like where I'm hunting at, they will be covered up with sign because the deer, the bucks are cruising the bottom at night when the thermals are all dropping. And so they're getting the same effect. They're coming to that one central location and they're able to smell what's been up at all on all those different ridges. And so you find a whole bunch of sign right there. And so first thing early in the morning or late in the evening, you have the opportunity to get one into bow range in these bottoms like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Uh, And it's just another layer of trying to figure this whole thing out, man. I I got some spots where, man, like before the sun hits the bottom, it's money. But then once the sun hits the bottom, then we start to get those swirling winds that you talked about. The thermals aren't as accurate. The wind picks up and it just, it just swirls so much. I really only hunt maybe to seven 38 o'clock in those spots. Then I'll drop down and then maybe I'll move up on top of the Ridge and and, and do some of those things. Or I just call it a a hunt and then hit, you know, then I, I go back and hit, so when, when you're facing a scenario like that, are, are you moving around a lot or are you, you just kind of sit there and, and just pray that it, uh, the wind's not doing anything shifty? Well, um, one of the things I always try to do, if there's any type of water that is, I, I want to do a video on this because I think it's harder to explain verbally and easier to explain, uh, visually. But if there's any water is going to affect thermals more than just about anything. So if you're in a creek that has running water in it, um, you can position yourself in such a way that even when the thermals start rising, the water it's going to it could potentially rise away from where you think the deer are going to come from. Um, does that kind of make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. The the thermals are going to push up off of the water. And if you're on a creek, it's going to push almost like think of like dividing the sea. Yeah. Um, like Moses when he split the sea. So the thermal start rising and it goes out from the creek. And if you're on, if you're faced towards the direction that you think the deer are going to come from, if it's a creek crossing or something like that, when the, even when the thermals start rising, uh, they're going to rise away hopefully away from where you predict the deer are going to come from. So I use water a lot in my setup in this spot where I killed two of these bucks at this year. I set up on the opposite side of the Creek from where those deer were at. And I think that was the thing that killed both of those deer 
is the thermals were definitely rising. They would have probably, they never had a clue out. Neither deer had a clue I was there. Um, and the thermals were 100% rising, but they were rising away from that spot where the deer were, where the bucks were starting to cruise around. And so it gave me opportunity to, to get a shot and it works the same way, you know, um, in flatter land. So when I've hunted swamps, a lot of the times I will set up on the opposite side of a walk of any type of water, standing water from where I think the deer are going to come from. And it, it works in your advantage two different ways. So when the thermals rise, like I just said, it pushes back towards you. Um, but when the thermals start to fall, they hit that water and they run with the water. They don't run across the water. They won't go across the water unless the wind pushes, unless the wind is stronger and it's pushing it that direction. Um, the, the, are you, are you tracking that? Is that? Yeah. What, yep. I'm, I'm, I actually up? have my eyes closed and I'm trying to visualize what you're saying. Uh, milkweed has definitely been something for me that has helped me understand it better. Yeah. Uh, and just setting up and seeing if these theories are correct. So when you drop milkweed and the thermals are, let's say you drop milkweed late in the evening, right at last light, drop your milkweed. And probably what it's going to do is it's going to go towards wherever that water is. And then it's just going to either just suck down into the water and float away. Or it's going to, if the water's flowing, it's probably going to flow, like float over the water with the direction of the water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, which protects you from a deer on the opposite opposite side of that water being able to yeah. smell you. Um, and obviously every single one of these scenarios is going to greatly depend on the wind direction. Yeah. Um, if, if your wind is at your back, it's just going to blow your scent over the water. Yeah. But if you're setting up like you should then, and hunting the wind, then it should already be at your face. So if the wind's overpowering thermals, then great. It's still at your face. You're still protected. But if the winds, if the thermals are overpowering the wind direction, which is very common late at night or uh, late in the afternoon, wind starts to die down, your thermals are going to be at your back. But hopefully what you, what you're after is it just following that waterway. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, going out and being able to read sign, read terrain, identify deer movement, all that stuff. If I could have a pair of glasses that I could see how air moves and thermals and wind, and like see almost like little mini arrows that you see on maps sometimes that indicate wind direction. If, yeah. if some way there was a pair of glasses that I could put on and see, see that and see where, you know, like, uh, color green meets color red and, and, and all these things, dude, that would be, you would be able to, it would click in your brain. And I think it would become so much easier for people to then understand how all this works and how a deer literally uses its nose to see basically to, to yeah. see danger and, uh, or just that's how they go about their life and, and why trails are in a certain spot on a hill or why a crick crossing is in a certain spot and just all the, and why they come out of a, um, of a, of a block of timber into an ag field, uh, the same way or how they run, you know, run in swamps and things like that. I think if once you can, once you can identify that, it just becomes, it would click for people. And I've, yeah. I, and I know what you're talking about with these levels because I, the only thing I can think of is, is a lake. Okay. And, and I'm using water as a reference point here. The warm water stays to the top and then there's a thermal level, right? Where there's almost this straight line. And then below this line under this thermal level is a, this extremely cold water, right? And air is doing the same thing. And there's been a couple times on some of these uh, thermal hubs that you're talking about where I've dropped my milkweed and I, I, there's not a lot of wind this morning and it just floats in one spot right above the cold and right below that hot, uh, that, that warm yeah. air. And it's almost like a tide and I was getting busted. Um, and I didn't know why I'm like, man, there's no wind here. How am I getting busted way up there? Well, these thermals were coming in and out of this draw and they basically, it was like a tide and my scent was going up 
and then sucking back down and going up and sucking back down. And it was just clearing out this whole drainage. And I didn't even know it because, um, what I honestly needed was a little more wind to, you know, for the, the thermal to work properly. And, uh, so I ended up saying, man, this is not a good spot. I need to come back up off the ridge a little bit. And once I did that, I started having, you know, more, uh, more options with deer. So yeah, man, thermals are crazy. I, I like, that's the stuff I really geek out about. And that's the stuff that I really try to focus on, especially when I'm hunting like uh, a really awesome terrain feature in, in, in the timber. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you one thing that's going to like, people are going to try it and they're going to be the same way that I was like, you, you think you got it figured out and then you hunt on a cloudy day and you're like, Frick. <laughs> <laughs> Parker McDonald's full of shit, man. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and honestly, like swirling winds, wind, you know, bouncing off of ridges and even trees. Like I find thermal hubs during the early season can really suck when the leaves are still on the trees because your wind, the wind direction is just like bouncing off of everything. There's nothing, it's not going through. It's just swirling around. Um, but a good, a good, uh, example, visual example is kind of what you said about a lake. So visualize a lake early in the morning, um, before the sun comes up, uh, there's usually, there's a lot of fog. This fog will hover over that lake. So it hovers over that water. What, what happens? People say, oh, the fog's not burned off yet. Fog is the is thermals, right? Like it, it is a visual representation of thermals. The sun comes out, it burns away the fog. It doesn't just make that fog go away. It just rises up. It just comes up because it's, it's rising. That sun heats it up, rises it up. You go out on a foggy or a, on a cloudy day. If it's cloudy and foggy, that fog will a lot of times just sit on the water all day long because it, the sun never, never caused it to rise. And, uh, I've seen that happen a whole bunch. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times, like if it's a cloudy day, I'm not, I'm not planning on sitting in any type of thermal hub because it's not probably not going to produce anything. It right. could, if it does produce anything, it's not going to be on those ridges. It's going to be down low. It's right. going to be in the bottoms. Right. Um, That's crazy. So um, it's, it's definitely something. percent the best thing for yeah. people like, People who are just using powder and stuff like that, like if you don't want to buy milkweed because it's trendy or you don't want to go pick milkweed or whatever, like get a cotton ball and pull off little pieces of cotton off of that and use that as your as your reference. Because having something like that that doesn't just kind of dissipate like powder yeah. does where you can actually see what it's doing is huge. That's a yeah. big deal. Yeah, that's a fact, man. Well, um, Parker, man, really appreciate you taking time out of your day. If you guys want to, especially if you're listening to this podcast and you're, you're from the South, I mention this all the time on my podcast. I have very limited, well, I have no experience hunting the South. Uh, so Parker, uh, it's one of the reasons why I brought Parker on the network is so I had someone relatable on the network who, who could uh, speak on the South. So if you're from the South or you hunt in some of these, uh, these terrain features, like what he was talking about, and it's not just the South. I mean, it's really content for like these principles that are covered for really anywhere. Uh, you need to listen to, uh, the, the Southern ground hunting podcast, uh, and, uh, definitely give that a listen. And also, is it's it's hunting ground it's southern ground hunting on youtube as well right that's it yep right so and then you know all this all the social places it uh so highly recommend his podcast and check it out and uh parker man good luck if you do get out hunting again thanks for your time and uh man we'll chat when we chat sounds good man i appreciate you having me on i always enjoy it And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Parker. Huge shout out. The biggest shout out to you guys. Everything that you guys do to support the Nine Fingers and support the network, man, I really appreciate that. Huge shout out to Hunt Stand, Lone Wolf, Wasp, Ozonics, Vortex, Exodus, and Excalibur. Man, I tell you what, um, 
I don't know, like their support has helped, is equally responsible for the, you know, having someone trust you enough to, to give you money to, to rep their brand. It means something to me and I appreciate that. So go check out those brands. And other than that, man, good vibes, right? It's that time of year where, and I don't want to like sound sappy, but it's that time of year where there are people out there who may not have family. They may not have the, um, the, the connection to happiness that you do. So extend that, reach out to someone. Um, if you have a family member that maybe you haven't talked to in a while, you got bad blood, you know, you got beef between them. There it's, there's no reason for it, you know, end it and you can end it by being the bigger man or being the bigger person, forgiving them for, I don't know what it, what I'm trying to say here is just, you know, this, this, this whole, this whole feeling of good vibes, man, that's what we need to do. We need to have, uh, send out good vibes. And that doesn't just mean send them out into the world. Like I've been talking about, but send them directly to a person, someone who, um, is struggling uh, this time of year, especially when this time of year is so focused around family. Um, and the, the definition of family doesn't necessarily have to be, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be blood, right? But a neighbor or anybody, anybody. So uh, just do your part in humanity and, and uh, just be a good person to all. And uh, I'll tell you, man, that, that, that positive energy will definitely come back to you. So with all that said, I appreciate your time. Merry Christmas. We got another episode coming this week uh, with Mark Kenyon. So uh, stay tuned for that. And uh, other than that, man, I hope everybody gets what they want in their stockings. And uh, I don't know how they're going to fit a thousand acres into a stocking, but that's what I'm wishing. That's what I'm wishing for. Merry Christmas.